your scriptures, and let us turn right to Acts 9 this morning. Our reading will be Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 43. And speaking of prayer, beloved, when you hear this passage read, you should notice the prayer that is explicitly stated and that which is not explicit but clearly present, especially in the matter of Dorcas, who also goes by the name Tabitha. The earnestness with which the saints and disciples want to see her healed is the earnestness of prayer. And oh, how the Lord Jesus hears and responds to those prayers. Let us pray ourselves upon the reading of the word. Please go with me to the throne, to throne of grace now. Our gracious God and Father, we now pray that according to your will, you would grant a great help to us. As we hear the word read publicly and preached, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us like a good plowman, that he would stick the plow in deep and well, breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts, making our hearts good and ready to receive the good seed of your word. We pray that that word would take root and that it would bring forth fruit, the fruit of salvation, the fruit of faith, the fruit of love and obedience, the fruit of maturity. Oh, Lord, grant us, we pray, the ministry of your spirit on the merits of your beloved Son, to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is God's word. 
In our text today, we witness two miracles performed by our Lord Jesus Christ through the instrument of his apostle Peter. In the first miracle, a man is healed from a paralysis that had left him in bed for eight years. In the second miracle, a woman is healed from an even more severe health problem, death itself. Two miracles, but both are meant to have the same effect upon you who hear of these things, to turn you to the Lord. You have not heard this well at all if you, having heard it, are not turned to the Lord. Beloved, this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit and having Luke set this text before you this morning that you would join the people of Lydda and the people of Joppa and turn to the Lord because of what you hear in this mighty display of power and goodness. The living God in today's passage calls you to hear of these miracles and to be conquered, to be captured, to be defeated, to be seized, yes, to be overcome. He calls you to join the people of Lydda and of Joppa in clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of your life and eternity. Just like those people, God means for you to be overtaken by what? By the goodness of the Lord Jesus. By the power of the Lord Jesus. And being overtaken by his goodness and power, you are to fully embrace the doctrine of Christ, submit to his ordinances, turn yourself over to be ruled by him, taught by him, forgiven by him, and saved by him. That's what it means to turn to the Lord. Now, as you hear how he freely gives his divine virtues to lowly sinners who are languishing under sin's curse, it should change your life. This should cause you to love him. This should cause you to run to him. What you hear today should cause you to embrace him, to cling to him, to serve him, to praise him, to boast in him, to listen to him, to adore him. What great goodness is this here? What great power is this here? It is the goodness and the power of Jesus Christ. If you cannot be won over by his goodness, if you cannot be won over by his goodness and power, then you must only want to be won over by something he does not have, evil. Will you only be won over to his cause and his kingdom if he gives you all the perverse things that a sinful heart could want? Would that win you over? Will you only be one to him if he gives you permission to sin and have salvation too? Will that win you over? Will you only be one over to Jesus if he gives you riches to spend on yourself? Will that be what wins you over to his cause and turn you to him fully and for the rest of your life? Will you only be one to him if he gives you power over other people to enforce your will. Is that going to be the thing? 
Will you only be one to him if he gives you the admiration and praise of men? Beloved, here's what you are to understand in our text today. Two cities, two cities turn to the Lord because they have been won over by his goodness, won over by his power. If you are not going to be won over by his goodness, what will win you over? There is nothing else he gives to win win you but his goodness. And oh, what a blessing that it is his goodness that wins you. Christ wins sinners by displays of his goodness. He did not come to suffer and to die and to rise again only to allow you to go on doing evil. No, he has come to redeem you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. That's what he's doing in this passage, redeeming people from the curse of the law, letting them see the weight of the curse being lifted off their bodies as a foretaste of his kingdom in its consummate glory. What is the curse of the law? Scripture says it is death. It is all over our passage this morning. But Christ has come to redeem from that curse by his own blood. And in these two miracles, we see him applying his goodness by his power, lifting the curse of death off two lowly people as a testimony to his fuller and more permanent gift, eternal life in the power of his resurrection. So, beloved, can you be one to Christ by such goodness? Look how many were one that day in Lydda. Look how many were one in Joppa. Can you be won by the goodness of the Son of God? Now, I want you to look with me closer at these two miracles. The first takes place in the town of Lydda. This is a small rural town. It is down the slopes, closer to the Mediterranean, east of, uh, excuse me, west of Jerusalem. And there's a man living in this small rural town of Lydda. He suffers from a significant injury or some severe disease. The way Aeneas is described at verse 33 leads us to believe that he had some years of good health before his paralysis. The last eight years, he has been in bed. What happened to him? Did he suffer a terrible fall? Did something fall upon him? Was he stepped on or kicked by an animal? One of his own livestock? We don't know. No one knows specifically what happened to Aeneas. And this is itself quite important that we don't know. By keeping the specifics out of this story, Luke, the author of Acts, is inviting us to recall the bigger picture of human misery. According to this bigger picture, we do know what happened to Aeneas. God, by his sovereign rule over all things, has allowed the curse of sin to touch Aeneas's life in a very particular way. Paralysis. 
That does not mean his injury is due to a specific pattern of sin in his own life, though it may have been. We don't know. What we are sure about, however, is that Aeneas's injury is due to his living in a world that is under the curse of sin. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Aeneas's injury is a suburb built by the city of death. Let us understand. Romans 8.20 says all of creation has been subjected to futility by God's own decision. His just response to man's sin and rebellion. Creation now waits, says Romans 8.21, it waits to be set free from its bondage to corruption. So that is what has happened to Aeneas. That is what has happened to you. The law of sin is at work in the members of your body. This is why even for believers, the flesh is weak, though the spirit is willing. It is why there is sickness. It is why there is death, paralysis, worn-out hips, worn-out knees, miniature strokes, blocked arteries, heart attacks. But here's the thing. Here's the wonderful thing. What has happened to us because of our badness is not as important as what will happen to us because of God's goodness. Luke has framed the story of Aeneas as a triumph of Christ's goodness, of Christ's tenderness, of Christ's power for power towards sinful and fallen men. Look how this triumph appears so quickly in the miracle. Peter is sent by Christ to visit Aeneas not outside his house, not outside his bedroom window, but next to his bed. At bedside, Peter calls out the name of Aeneas. He announces that it is the will of Jesus Christ in heaven to do good to Aeneas, not evil. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Now, because Peter is an apostle, here he doesn't have to pray. Here he doesn't say, Lord, would you please heal Aeneas? He comes in the authority of Christ. That is also being demonstrated here. Peter comes upon a scene very much like a scene our Lord Jesus himself came upon when a man was lowered through a roof that was torn out by his friends. The Lord Jesus said to that man, take up your mat and walk. Peter, in a very similar setting, comes to this man and says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. The Spirit of Christ is demonstrating to the whole church that Christ in heaven is extending his authority and rule through the apostles. This will establish their preaching and it will establish their, their writings as holy scripture for the church. 
But beloved, this is also meant to show us that Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God the Father, is reaching his arm and saving and serving and showing his goodness upon the earth, even now through his apostles. Now this is, these words that he speaks to Aeneas, these are the very similar words that all who believe in Jesus Christ are going to hear on the last day of history, aren't they? The day of resurrection. When Christ comes with his angels, you are going to hear, Christian, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. What bed will you be lying in that day? You'll be lying in a grave of dirt, but you will be called to make it the grave which many thought had become your permanent home, it will be proven on that day to have simply been a place of rest, and you will leave it behind in the good command and the good power of he who has already risen. Beloved, let us understand, everything that has befallen us, everything, that has befallen us because of sin and sin's curse is not as 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 important as what will happen to us because of Christ and his goodness. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8.18. Why? Why are the present sufferings not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed to us? Because Jesus uses the power of his risen life to pour out his goodness on our decaying life. And even when your life is at the pinnacle of decay, full-scale rigor mortis, full-scale bones only, even then he will command you to rise. We now know that every injury, every affliction, every sting of death have only and always been temporary for the children of God, only given to us to lead us to throw all our hope onto the eternal promises of Christ's goodness and Christ's power. Johnny Erickson Tata, who is herself paralyzed by a terrible accident, she says, I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness. Can you imagine, she says, the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsy, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive, she says. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Beloved, do you see the lesson on evangelism we are to take from today's reading? 
the church of Jesus Christ is to go into the world, not with apostolic authority over sickness, but with a resurrection authority over sickness, resurrection authority over the grave. We are to go into the world declaring to decaying men and women who know the aches and pains of the curse, tell them where those came from, and tell them where the goodness of Jesus Christ comes from, that he will heal their bodies racked by sin. He will deliver their bodies from the grave into his kingdom. This is his goodness. This is his love. This is his life. That is an evangelistic message that should not be hidden in the preaching of the gospel. Now, I should say something for all you parents' sake about Jesus, or about, excuse me, about Peter's command to Aeneas to make his bed. You are all vindicated right here by Scripture. Make your bed. First, Aeneas must make his bed because it is proof that he is well. He can take care of himself now to a measure. His bed is no longer his permanent home. It is but a temporary place of rest. Second, Aeneas must make his bed because he has work to do in the life that comes from Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry put this well. Quote, it is Christ by the power of his grace that works all our works, but that does not mean we have no work to do. The resurrection power and promise of Christ does not make those who receive it lazy. No. It makes us faithful, drawing strength from his life through faith to serve him and one another and even the world. Let's look at the second miracle. This second miracle takes place a little further to the west, a little further west than Lydda in the town of Joppa. It is right on the Mediterranean coast. And you may remember Joppa is the place that Jonah ran off to when he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. It's where he bought a ticket to get on a ship going to Tarshish. It's that Joppa. Well, now it's Peter's turn to visit Joppa, not to flee from the Lord's business, but to go and do it. But look what brings Peter to Joppa. An urgent request reaches Peter from two Christian disciples who have been sent to Lydda to fetch him. These two walked, or they ran, or they traveled by some means the seven miles from Joppa to Lydda, And finding Peter there, they beg him. They keep urging him to come back with them and heal Tabitha. That's her Aramaic name, Dorcas in Greek. Now, it's very possible, the timing is not super clear, it's very possible Tabitha was alive when these two left from Joppa to go to Lydda. And that by the time Peter arrived, she had died. That wouldn't be surprising at all under the Lord's provident hand because it would then again put Peter in the very footsteps of our Lord when he held back from rushing 
to heal Lazarus. Remember, he waited till Lazarus was dead for a clearer demonstration of his glory. But let's ask this question. What would make these two men and the others who sent them so desperate to help this one woman who was sick and dying? The answer is quite clear in our text. Dorcas was a Christian disciple of such high quality, no one wanted her to die. Beloved, right there is your life mission. To be a Christian disciple of such high quality that the saints don't want you to die. That's what Dorcas was, and the Spirit of God is making sure we do not overlook it. It is wonderful how the Lord Jesus in heaven, on his throne, concurs with the desire of the saints on earth that this high-quality saint be kept among them. Now, all of this desire that we're talking about is itself an illustration of what prayer is. When we are praying for one another, we are praying, Lord, heal my brother, heal my sister, not simply so that they can go play pickleball again, but so that they can continue to bear these fruits among us that we are so needy of. These fruits of the Spirit, these good works, this charitable almsgiving. So, beloved, look at Dorcas, described there in verse 36. She is an example of what we all ought to be. First, it says she is a disciple. Now, that's unusual. A woman being singled out in the scriptures and called a disciple. We are not in Kansas anymore, Toto. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, women and men are both students of the teacher, the master, Jesus Christ. By calling her a disciple, Luke is simply letting us know that this is the appropriate description of her faith. It means that she is a student of a master, the master being Jesus Christ. By faith, she has confessed him and committed herself to him. Now, John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, makes a big deal about Tabitha being called a disciple. Listen to some of what he says. Quote, Luke hath oftentimes already put this word disciple for a Christian man. And lest we should think that that name was proper to men only, he attributeth the name to a woman as well. This title teaches us that Christianity cannot be without doctrine and that that form of learning is prescribed that the same Christ may be master to all. This is the chiefest praise to be called the disciple. This is the beginning of holy life. This is the root of all virtues, to have learned of the Son of God the way to live and the true life. Close quote. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we say to a woman, who is your teacher? Who is your master? Well, the same as yours, brother. Praise God. But Dorcas was not only a hearer of the word, to borrow James's category. She was a doer 
of the word. So verse 36 goes on to say, she was full of good works and acts of charity, which is a technical term specifically referring to her giving, giving liberally money and necessaries to the poor, probably many of those garments that she had sewn. So to state this very briefly and quite frankly, Dorcas lived in the church and in the wider community of Joppa the kind of life other godly people wanted to keep alive. And this is quite important for our understanding why Jesus restores earthly life to Dorcas. We can understand how it would be better for Dorcas to be in heaven with Jesus, right? Paul confirms this in his own experience, that it is better for Paul to die and go to heaven. As he contemplated death in his writings to the Philippians, he says this to them in Philippians 1.23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Surely it was far better for Dorcas to stay departed now that she had departed, to be with Christ instead of in the midst of the miseries of this world. But listen to what Paul says in his next breath to the Philippians, one twenty-four. For this also is true of Dorcas. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Beloved, this is why I take my blood pressure pills. This is why I'm cutting back on sugar. I'm ready to die. I don't fear it. I have never feared it less in my life. But this passage, Paul's Philippians 1 passage, it is better to live and serve the Lord and serve his people. Paul goes on. It is more necessary on your account, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is why Christ is pleased and quite willing to return Dorcas to the living. She will be so very useful to the church of Jesus Christ. Are you? Let's be really frank, beloved. It's jumping out of this passage all over you. Are you living the kind of Christian life that other Christians don't want to see die? That does not mean, please don't get entangled into a worldly logic puzzle. That does not mean if you, if you die young, you weren't living that kind of life. But, beloved, don't live long and not live that kind of life because you have just piled up much displeasure before the Lord. If he gives you 90 years and you live for yourself. Christ is pleased to return her because through her faith, through her good works, you don't think she's going to stop those now just because she, 
She's not going to go on a book tour, is she? No, she is going to be right back at it. Through her faith and good works, more and more people will glory in Jesus Christ. It's exactly what Paul told the Philippians about him staying. Now look at the intimate moment that Peter enters the upper room. He's finally in Joppa. He goes to the room where they have laid out Dorcas's body. Have you ever seen that? I've seen that several times in Vermont. A body laid out on a dining room table for all the neighbors to come and say farewell to. It's very arresting, but it's so, so loving. The very place where we supped and ate with that person. I remember Roland. The very place where we heard his stories and laughter on that same table where we broke bread with him and talked about Christ. There was his body laid out for the town to come and see. It was the last funeral I preached before I left Vermont. So here comes Peter to the upper room. He finds all the widows gathered there, and they come and stand next to him to show him the fine work she has done in her sewing, in her fabrics. And they are weeping her loss. What love this is. Verse 40 then says, Peter shushed them out of the room. He knelt down by Dorcas's body, and here he prays. Then he turned to the body, and he said two words, Tabitha, arise. The next thing that happened is her eyes opened. She focused upon Peter's face and looked at him. Then she sat up. Then his hand came toward her. She took his hand. He helped her to his feet, to her feet, and then called those who loved her to come in and see her. And he gave her back to them. This whole scene is a picture of the deepest tenderness that you could ever expect for such a mighty miracle. Was Peter known for his tenderness? <laughs> oh, I wish I had more time to laugh about that question. Peter was not known for his tenderness. This was a fisherman. If he wasn't yelling at a fish, he was yelling at some staff member on the other end of the boat. The old Peter was not known for his tenderness. But the old Peter was not in the upper room next to the body of Dorcas. The new Peter was known for tenderness because he had been discipled himself. Yes, an apostle, but like you, also a disciple. A couple years earlier, this same Peter had been one of three disciples, only three, who Jesus allowed to come into Jairus' house with him when he went to the room where Jairus' dead daughter had been laid out. And Peter watched as his master came close to that girl and said two words, not Tabitha arise, but child arise. Peter is mimicking his master. 
so that the whole church of God until the end of the age doesn't miss what's happening at the end of Acts 9, that the apostles of Jesus Christ extend his life and power, even though he is in heaven. We can trust their words. Why so much tenderness in raising Dorcas from the dead? Why not fireworks and water balloons? Why not jumping up and down and yelling vulgar things at the devil? Beloved, so much tenderness here for two reasons. First, it demonstrates just how much power the Lord Jesus Christ has over death. He can defeat death in us with a whisper. Second, he wants those whom he loves to have no fear about death. Do you think you will wake up in the age to come with any more peace and tenderness than this? How rich this is in tenderness. It is your future. There will be no screaming, yelling, no scary moments, no going over the edge on a roller coaster without your belt on. You will hear the whisper, child, arise. The Lord wants you to be so comforted in your faith and trust of him. Beloved, I close with a couple points of application. First one, Aeneas was healed in a miraculous way. The miracles performed by the apostles do not continue in the age after the apostles. Paul makes it very clear in his writing to the Corinthians that there are signs of an apostle, and he performed them among the Corinthians. There are not miraculous signs of disciples, but there are miraculous signs of apostles. And the Lord Jesus allowed those to be abundant to establish the authority of the apostles in the church so that we would receive their preaching and eventually their writings. We have to pray, even at Aeneas's bedside. Lord, if it is your will, heal And we pray, not only demanding some kind of miraculous healing, but we pray that the Lord would be pleased to use secondary causes, causes, like blood pressure medicine, like a stent, like a surgeon, even a vaccine. We pray that the Lord would use secondary causes to heal and keep our brothers and sisters alive in the service of God, if it is his will. Second, make your bed. Make your bed. Why do you make your bed, those of you who make your bed? Maybe we should turn upon you. Why do you make your bed? Now you know why. You make your bed because you are alive in union with the risen Christ. You don't make your bed simply to please your mother You don't even make your bed to keep your room clean. You make your bed because you are kept in health, not by yourself, but by Jesus Christ who wills you to be alive in 2022. 
who wills you to be alive in July of 2022. It is his life that gives you life to serve and to do and believe according to his pleasure. You make your bed to go and serve him and testify every morning to yourself that is not your permanent home. That is not your permanent place. I'm going to make my bed because I don't live in it. I live wherever the Lord sends me. I have people to meet. I have people to serve. I have things to do because I am in Christ. And lastly, beloved, can you be won over by the goodness of Jesus Christ? He means for you to be won over by the display of his goodness and power, that he is the Lord of the living and the dead. Are you won over to it? You'll know you have been when you are pleased to confess him before men, when you are unashamed to make him before men your Lord and Savior and to conform your life to him and let your love flow out of your faith. How good he is. Why would you stay away from him? Boys and girls, why would you be any slower about embracing him and serving him? Why would somebody so good and powerful not completely enrapture you and become more important to you than your Xbox, more important to you than your sports life, more important to you than a girl or a boy, Why wouldn't somebody this good, this mighty, this everlasting pull you away from everything and make them all second, third, and fourth place and make him first place? Why not? Think about that. The only reason why it should is because he is your God and your Savior. And he wins you by his goodness. He would have you bathe in it, rest in it, hope in it, run in it. Let us praise him. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that you would conquer our hearts, subdue our wills, enrapture our spirit, ravish our soul. Let us be those numbered among the citizens of Lydda and Joppa who turn to the Lord, not to the Apostle Peter, not to the church, but to the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. Oh, Lord, we pray that our good works would have such an effect, that we would not gather men and women to ourselves, but our good works would be so wrapped in the announcement of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and his goodness from the incarnation to the crucifixion to the resurrection to the ascension to the consummation that men and women are turned to him when they see and receive our good works and charity. Father, I do pray that all who are gathered here today would turn to the Lord, would be won over by his goodness and need nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.